This is the Sideline Dissonant Podcast, coming to you from YouTube, iTunes, Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at the Brad Whitaker. I am the Brad Whitaker. Good show for you today. Uh, college football top four teams came out again last night. We got one week left. Championship week is this week. Pretty exciting. I'll talk about the teams that still have a shot to make it in the top four and the teams that I think have no prayer at all. Also, get into the Eric Dickerson, Jeff Fisher, L.A. Rams situation. I will give you my thoughts on that. But first, I look, I started this podcast uh, about a month ago, and I really haven't talked about that much NBA. Uh, you know, it's it's we're a month into the season. Uh, you know, there hasn't been a ton of exciting stuff happening this season, uh, but I thought yesterday in the NBA was one of the most exciting days I've seen the NBA in a long time, at least in the regular season. If you haven't been paying attention to the NBA, and a lot of people aren't right now, you know, this is still football season, college football, uh, people have their attention focused on other things, and you know, the it, there's only 12 months in a year, and the NBA season goes on for 13, so, you know, the it seems like the NBA is always going. So that's why I haven't talked about the league that much. That being said, last night, literally every underdog won in the NBA. I don't know if that's ever happened before. I'm sure it has. But literally every game that was scheduled, the underdog won. I'll, I'll read you the list of games. Uh, Detroit beat Charlotte. Uh, a minor upset, but records-wise, that, that was an upset. Brooklyn beat the Clippers, uh, Milwaukee beat Cleveland, New Orleans beat the Lakers, uh, and the Lakers are playing well right now, they're about a 500 team, nobody saw that coming, Orlando beat San Antonio, and Utah beat Houston. Now, Utah Jazz are an underrated team, and people don't know that because they're the Utah Jazz, but that was still an upset last night, too. Literally every game, an upset, and and it wasn't just that, uh, the headlines today were hilarious, and, and you know, that's what drives the NBA is flashy headlines, different things like that. Nobody nobody in the basketball sports media actually cares about who wins games, I've noticed, but the headlines were perfect yesterday. Uh, J.R. Smith, if you haven't seen this, go back and look it up. Uh, J.R. Smith high-fived Jason Terry on the bench. And because uh, in Milwaukee he high fived Jason Terry on the bench while he was in the game, while game w- while the game was playing, and what ended up happening is the person uh, J.R. Smith was guarding got a wide open layup out of it. It was hilarious. Uh, you got to give Jason Terry credit if that was intentional because it got his team two points and and they ultimately won the game. Uh, I'm I'm sure LeBron gave J.R. a talking to after that game. Uh, also in Brooklyn, that Clippers game, one of the sloppiest basketball games you'll ever see. Um, Doc Rivers had a top 10 all-time coaching meltdown on a technical foul that I argue shouldn't have been called. Uh, one of the refs thought he was arguing with another ref when he really didn't, and then they blamed it on him walking across the half-court line, which was crap. 
Uh, and I, I give Rivers credit for that. The, the freak out was pretty funny, though. Definitely a top 10 all-time coaching meltdown, college and NBA. Check that out if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, and in the same game, Paul Pierce uh, missed a dunk. Paul Pierce is getting up there in age. Uh, he's developed into a, a solid role player, not the superstar he once was. But he missed a wide-open dunk on a great pass from Chris Paul. Pierce went to the ground. He was fouled, and uh, CP3 gave Paul Pierce CPR. I thought that was that was pretty funny. That's the stuff that does well in the NBA. That's what gets the ratings. And this is November, and we're talking about the NBA. That's pretty exciting. Now, the NBA uh, has developed a reputation as the role model league over these last few years. Now, from a business perspective, I do not think that's true at all. It's the NFL. Clearly, it's the NFL. Week four of the season, every fan is watching their team play. Cleveland Browns haven't won a game all year, but I'm sure most of their fans are going to be tuning in next week. Look, I'm a Celtics fan, and I've watched at least part of maybe half of their games this season. And I follow the Celtics very closely. That's the difference. I'm a Patriots fan, haven't missed a game. If the Patriots were uh, hadn't won a game all year, I'd still be watching it. Not like that's going to happen, but uh, the look the NFL doesn't have a business problem, and and I'm tired of people thinking the NBA has been trumping the NFL for some time. The NFL doesn't have a business problem; they have a public relations problem. Now I know PR is part of business, but when we're talking about the overall product. It's not even close. Look, is Adam Silver a better commissioner than Roger Goodell? To the public, yes. He's a thousand times better. But, uh, Roger Goodell oversees a far superior product. Look, and, and I'm willing to admit that. I don't like Goodell. But, look, the NFL... The NFL has room to experiment. They're putting these awful Thursday night football games on. There's going to be a good one this Thursday uh, between, what is it? Oh, the Vikings and the Cowboys. That's going to be a great game. But for the most part, they're division clunkers. That's what they've been putting on. But the NFL has the freedom to do things like that because people will tune in any day at any time if their team is playing. And it's not just that. People like to watch other teams play. Not that that, that, that doesn't happen in the NBA. The NBA is more superstar-oriented. People like to watch um, Russell Westbrook play, for instance, that aren't Thunder fans. They don't actually care if the Thunder win, but you see what I'm saying. It's, it's a different product, but the NFL is a superior product. And something the NFL does really well is make bad teams good, and it's unpredictable every year. Year to year, you have no idea going in who are going to be the best teams. For instance, this year, the first place teams in each division, I'll read them off. Okay, the New England Patriots, that hasn't changed, that hasn't changed for some time. But then you have the Oakland Raiders, they didn't win the division last year. Baltimore Ravens, uh, they were a terrible team last year. Uh, injury problems, but a terrible team nonetheless. Uh, the Houston Texans, they did win their division, but we know they're not going to... They're in first place right now. We know the Texans aren't going to win their division this year. It's going to be the Titans or the dysfunctional Colts. Probably the Titans, the way they've improved this season. Dallas Cowboys, they were a bad team last year. Remember all those 
uh, distractions with Greg Hardy, Jerry Jones, Des Bryant, a cancer in the locker room. Remember all that? Those issues are gone this year because they're winning. Seahawks, they didn't win their division last year, but they're a good team. But they're on top this year. The Detroit Lions were not a division-leading team last year. Not even close. Um, They lost a lot of close games last year, and this year they're winning those games. Uh, And then the Atlanta Falcons. They're in first place right now. Uh, Everyone was excited about the Falcons last year, but then they blew up at the end of the season, so then nobody had high expectations for them. They're in first place. But you're seeing what I'm saying. you You can't predict going into the NFL season. My biggest criticism of the NBA has been that you can predict three of the four teams in the conference finals before the regular season even starts. I'll do it right now. I'm going to predict the four teams that are the two teams in the East, two teams in the West. Four teams who are going to make the conference finals. I'll do it right now. Golden State Warriors, bold guess, and the San Antonio Spurs. Shocking. Who's going to make it in the East? Cleveland Cavaliers. All right. Like I said, three out of four. Okay? So the last one, maybe I'll say the Toronto Raptors. Maybe the Celtics or the Hawks if they get their act together. Uh, But, look, if I'm predicting the Warriors, Spurs, Cavs, and Raptors as my four teams to make it to the conference finals, we know three of those teams are probably going to be right. I mean, I like the Clippers, but the Spurs are ahead of the Clippers now. Uh, in the Western Conference. The Clippers are a better team. They're getting their act together. They have lots of veterans uh, that know what they're doing, and the dysfunction seems to be gone, despite Doc Rivers being thrown out of the game. But I I think the Warriors and the Spurs is a pretty safe prediction uh, at this point in the season. But, uh, look, I don't want to bash the NBA. It's exciting. We're talking about them in November. And, look, it's premature to judge after just one day of games. But if all these underdogs are winning, maybe the league's moving in the right direction. Maybe it's getting closer to the NFL in that... Look, I don't think the New Orleans Pelicans are going to be anything special, but if this were the NFL, the Pelicans could be the number one team in the West. You just don't know. But maybe the NBA is getting closer to that unpredictability that the NFL has year to year. It's so much harder to succeed in the NFL consistently because you never know what you got going into the season. Look, I still think the NBA has a long way to go to catch the NFL. And I personally don't think they ever will. But I do think the gap is closing. Uh, So today is Wednesday, which meant yesterday was the college football playoff committee selection show, the best content on TV you could ever ask for. If you tune in for the college football playoff committee selection show every week, you need to reassess your life. That's just my opinion. But uh, part of the reason I think that is because you can just look it up on Twitter. 
Uh, so I, I, I'll, let me list the uh, top. Uh, I'll list the top twelve teams, uh, specifically the top four. Uh, but right now, the college football playoff, the top twelve teams, top four right now are Alabama at number one, Ohio State at number two, Clemson at number three. Washington at number four. There's still a week left, but those are the four teams in at this moment. Number five, uh, a team that bounced out of the top four this week, uh, is Michigan. Number six, Wisconsin. Number seven, Penn State. Number eight, Colorado. Nine, Oklahoma. Ten, Oklahoma State. Eleven, USC. And twelve, Florida State. Now, uh, so the team that jumped into the top four... Uh, was Washington. Uh, we'll have Michigan had a double overtime loss on the road against Ohio State in a game they really should have won, but they lost and they bounced from number four to five. Now, apparently, this this is what they're saying. This is what they said on ESPN uh, this morning. Uh, there isn't much of a difference between Washington and Michigan. Washington's four, Michigan's five. According to the committee, that's uh, where the dispute was this week. That's where the the old men all from the South sitting in a room debated whether Washington or Michigan should take that number four spot. They ended up picking Washington. Uh, but this is interesting. We still we have a week left. Uh, some leagues have conference championships, others don't. Most do now, which is good. Uh, I mean, more football, more better. <laughs> That's my saying. Uh, but Michigan doesn't play next week. And neither does Ohio State. And Ohio State's in. They're number two right now. Uh, they beat Michigan last week. One loss. They're, I think Ohio State is a lock. Obviously, Alabama is a lock at number one. Uh, also, I just realized I spelled Alabama wrong. Not Alabama. Alabama. Yeah, there we go. All right. We'll get that lower third back up. So, uh, Alabama 1, Ohio State 2, that, that's probably a guarantee. So, what we're talking about is the last two spots. The conference championships will determine who those final two teams are. It could stay the same, Clemson and Washington. But, Clemson and Washington are both playing in conference championship games. So, one would think Michigan, who's at number 5, looking in, they would get into the college football playoff if either Clemson or Washington lost. But, here's where it gets interesting. What if that scenario happens? One of those teams loses, Clemson or Washington, and then either Penn State or Wisconsin, Wisconsin's number 6, Penn State's 7, those two are meeting in the Big Ten Championship this week, not Ohio State and Michigan because of their conference record, who are actually ahead of Wisconsin and Penn State, even though Wisconsin and Penn State are playing for the conference title, not Michigan. Or Ohio State. God, college football so messed up. But what happens if either Clemson or Washington loses, so one of those three or four ranked teams, and either Penn State or Wisconsin blows out the other? Let's say Penn State blows out Wisconsin or vice versa. Let's just, let's just say, hypothetically, Wisconsin wins that game 42-7 to over Penn State. Let's just say, hypothetically, that happened, and Clemson won, but Washington lost. Would Wisconsin make it into the top four, or would Michigan make it into the top four? 
Look, I I don't think if that scenario happened, I don't think Wisconsin or Penn State, if they wanted to blow out one of those teams, do they leapfrog Michigan? I don't think it happens. Penn State and Wisconsin are not better football teams than Michigan. And unless you're from Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, you probably agree with me. It's it's not even close. But Penn State and Wisconsin are playing in the conference title game. And the winner of that conference, the Big Ten Championship, the winner of that conference title game, will have the same record as Michigan, who isn't playing in the conference championship. And if that happens, in this scenario that I've outlined, where either Clemson or Washington loses one of those teams, and Penn State blows out Wisconsin, or vice versa, I think the college football playoff committee will take the winner of that Big Ten championship game and have them leapfrog Michigan. I don't agree with it, but I do think that's what's going to happen. Look, the standard, according to the college football playoff committee, is that they are picking the four best teams at that very moment to be in the playoff. The four best teams right now. Not the beginning of the season, right now. But that's clearly not what they're doing. That's not what they've done in the last two years. If you look at the top 12, if you look at the top 15 teams listed... It literally goes by record. Alabama has no losses. They're number one. Ohio State, one loss. They're number two. Clemson and Washington, two losses. They're three and four. And it just goes like that. The two-loss teams, next we have the three-loss teams, next we have the four-loss teams. No effort. They Anyone could have done that. Anyone could have ranked the teams by win-loss record. So when the college football playoff committee says we are picking the four best teams at that very moment, they are not telling the truth. Obviously. Look, if I were picking the four best teams in college football right now, and I think the college football playoff committee should do that. They should call me up and just have me make the decision because I think I'm right and I think a lot of people would agree with me. I think the top three teams are obvious. If you're picking the top three teams right now, again, four teams get in the playoff, but if you're picking the top three teams, it's obvious. Those three teams are Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan. If you think there's any team in the country other than those three schools that should be in there, you're being dishonest with yourself. So if I were picking the top four teams in the country, at this very moment, it would be Alabama, Ohio State. I actually think Michigan is better than Ohio State, but they lost a tough one on the road where things broke the wrong way. But Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan. And then the fourth one, I'll pick either USC or Penn State. Uh, Both teams are in similar situations. You really can't pick USC to be in that top four without including Penn State in the conversation because they've had very, very similar seasons. But USC has no shot at the top four. They have no shot at all whatsoever. And for Penn State, their chances are very slim, maybe 5% of getting in. A lot has to break their way this weekend, and even then, I don't know. And that right there is what's wrong with college football. 
teams aren't allowed to improve if they suck at the beginning of the season, which goes against the purpose of college altogether. Seeing 18- and 19-year-olds better themselves throughout the season should be rewarded, not punished. Look, USC started the season 1-3. and three. They got blown out by Alabama. Uh, if, if the, they had two embarrassing Pac-12. Who were they? Utah and Stanford, I believe. Uh, Penn State, they lost a close one to Pitt at the beginning of the year, and they were blown out by Michigan. That also happened at the beginning of the season. But, they've won every game since, including Ohio State, the number two ranked team in the nation. Look, studying business, I'm, I'm an MBA student, has given me a brand new but unintended perspective on sports. It really has. Business growth tends to be exponential if you're starting from scratch. My YouTube channel... Uh, has 10,000 views right now. That's nothing to brag about. But, it's more than double of last week. I started this YouTube channel two months ago. The podcast was a month ago. My views doubled in a week. Same with my subscribers. But, a year from now, I'm hoping that it's 100 times that amount. Success is exponential, especially in business. A year from now, I don't want you judging me on my first podcast. I want you to be judging me on where I'm at right then and there. I I think it's the same thing with college football teams. USC started 1-3. They look terrible. Now, they probably have the best pass rush in program history. And if I recall, Pete Carroll used to coach at USC. I think he had a pretty good pass rush. He certainly does right now in the NFL. But that's that's what's wrong with college. And, look, I don't want to take anything away from Clemson and Washington, but the ACC... Yeah, Clemson, the ACC and the Pac-12 are not the same. They're just not. And I know USC is in the Pac-12, but... We can judge them by their growth this season. I think USC could beat any team on that top 12 list that I listed, except for maybe Alabama, Ohio State, and Michigan. Look, Michigan should be in that top four. I'm sorry, Washington. Michigan should. I think Michigan's a better team than Ohio State. They just happen to play a game on the road where... They turn the ball over in the red zone multiple times. But anyone who watched that game saw that Michigan outplayed Ohio State the whole time. But, because the college football playoff committee goes by exclusively records, even though they say they don't, Michigan apparently isn't allowed in that top four. Maybe it'll change this week, depending on what happens, but I don't know. It's exciting, but uh, I mentioned in one of my past podcasts, it shouldn't just be an 18 playoff, it should be a 16-team playoff. Look, the number 17 team in the nation isn't going to beat the number 1, but the number 12 might. That's why a 16-team playoff makes sense. The best teams take 5-6 to six weeks off anyways at the end of the season, so a 4-week playoff wouldn't be a big deal. But clearly, college football has a lot to fix, and they've had a lot to fix for quite some time now. 
after Thanksgiving, so I had to put Christmas music on. I'm one of those people that puts off Christmas music until about Christmas Eve, uh, but I get all this amazing royalty-free music. It's actually not free. I paid like 75 bucks for it, but uh, I'm going to try to play at least a little bit of Christmas music to try to get me in the season, get me to feel a little festive. Because I'm really kind of like the Grinch about Christmas. I don't really understand Christmas. I don't understand how we went from Jesus was born on this day to some old man that we're making up goes down the chimney and gives you... It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But that's a conversation for a different podcast that is not this one. Okay, so I wanted to avoid this story. I really did. I really wanted to avoid this story yesterday when it came out. Uh... The Eric Dickerson, L.A. Rams, Jeff Fisher situation. Uh, I I really don't enjoy talking about the Rams. I think their quarterback situation was intriguing. It said a lot about the organization, but uh, I don't really care about coach X player disputes. Uh, but I think this morning I realized this situation between Dickerson and Jeff Fisher really says a lot about the Rams organization, about their move to L.A., and it says the most about who Jeff Jeff Fisher is as an NFL coach. Now, if you're completely blind to this whole thing, uh, I'll try to put this as simple as I can. Uh, Eric Dickerson is a Hall of Fame running back, uh, back from when the Rams were originally in Los Angeles. Uh, He's also an NFL analyst, and he's criticized the LA Rams pretty heavily this season, especially head coach Jeff Fisher. But... Dick, like I said, Dickerson's a Hall of Famer. He's a big part of the Rams organization. He's very excited that they're back in L.A. This is where he played. Big city. Loves the city of L.A. He's kind of a part of the organization. And he asked for sideline passes for himself and his friends uh, to the November 20th game against the Miami Dolphins. Jeff Fisher, who apparently wasn't happy that Dickerson, who's kind of a part of the organization. I don't want to say a part of the current team, but part of the organization. He plays a big role. Fisher was upset that he criticized the team. Probably more upset that he criticized Fisher, but what ended up happening is Jeff Fisher called up Dickerson on the phone and said, no, you're not allowed to get those sideline passes. You can't have it both ways. You can't criticize the team and then expect to be a part of the team on the sideline every week. Now, I can see both sides of the issue, but honestly, I think both sides are very, very petty. I understand if you're an NFL head coach, and there's a distraction on your team, which Dickerson may or may not be, I don't know, I haven't been on that sideline, you need to make that distraction go away. Bill Belichick didn't trade Jamie Collins to the Browns, because he thought a third-round pick was a comparable return. Obviously, Collins was traded because there were some attitude issues there. Uh, I mean, the quote before the season where he said he'd much rather be playing video games than watching film doesn't help, especially with the Bill Belichick culture in New England. So I think we understand why Jamie Collins was traded, even though a third-round pick for a talent like him doesn't really make a lot of sense. But it does if you want to keep those distractions off your team, which really, in a league like the NFL, makes or breaks whether your team wins or loses. It, that's it. It's The margin of error in the NFL is so 
So small. And while Hall of Famer Dickerson is obviously a big part of the Rams organization, and deserves sideline passes, sure, if Fisher believes him being there hurts the team, it's completely understandable. But that's all the good grace I'm giving Jeff Fisher in this podcast. The problem with this situation has a lot to do with the city of Los Angeles and the mediocre organization that the Rams have been over the last decade. Now, Fisher, he took over for the Rams five seasons ago. Uh, So he spent four seasons in St. Louis, and he was kind of an under-the-radar coach in St. Louis. Somehow he managed to keep his job, despite, and this is his record, during his first four years in St. Louis. This doesn't even include this season. He was 27-36 and 36 and managed to keep his job. There's not that much pressure in St. Louis. They love the Cardinals there. They really do. And I think part of the reason the Rams were able to leave St. Louis is because of that, pa- that passion wasn't there, and they saw better opportunity in the second largest city in the United States. I'm sure St. Louis fans will disagree with me on that. But, look, I don't want to completely discredit Fisher. He's built an incredible defense in that four years, although you wouldn't have thought so after what the New Orleans Saints did to them last Sunday. But, I know I use the Patriots as an example all the time, but as you can see, I'm, I'm, I try to be objective about the Pats. But I, when I'm, I, I just want to look at what wins games. I don't care about jersey sales. Like I said in the past podcast, I don't care if Russell Westbrook's getting a triple-double every game. The Thunder aren't winning. That's all that matters, is winning games. Do you think Bill Belichick would have cared what Eric Dickerson had to say? (laughs) Would he have even listened to it? Of course not. And even if he had, and became incredibly pissed at Dickerson... Belichick wouldn't have even thought about picking up the phone and calling him. Fisher has so many players to deal with, week to week, and he needs to prepare for the hardest game of the season this week, on the road in Foxborough against the New England Patriots in December. And he felt the need to call Eric Dickerson for criticizing his 4-7 football team. First of all, I didn't know this. I found this out earlier today, but Fisher should have looked it up. Hall of Fame players have access to NFL sideline passes whenever the hell they want. I think they need to call like two weeks in advance, but if you're a Hall of Famer, you either can call your team or any team and just get sideline passes. That's just a rule, apparently. So it wasn't even Jeff Fisher's decision. Now look, if Fisher had called and been like, look, uh, I know you're critical of the team, and there's, and it's understandable, we're 4-7 and seven right now, uh, but c- can you not do that near the players on the sideline? I think that's different, but that's clearly not what happened. And then Fisher had a press conference yesterday where he completely denied he did any of this. Like, I don't know where this story would have come from. Now, Fisher, I probably did not expect Dickerson to take his phone call public, but he did. And if you're a great coach, you do not take those chances, especially with today's hysterical media 
that attacks people's character for not striking the right tone. Of course they're going to run with this story. And it's making Jeff Fisher look horrible. Now, if Dickerson's goal this week was to get Fisher fired, he's probably succeeded. Although he probably didn't have to do anything at all to make that happen. But the Rams released a statement yesterday that was very supportive of Eric Dickerson and not so much Jeff Fisher. So I think it's clear that Fisher is on the way out. I thought he should have been gone before the season even started. And, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the changes in the NFL. You know, your team has to be able to adapt, not just year to year, but week to week. And there was a time when having a defensive first head coach made a lot of sense. But in today's NFL, it just does not. And we see that with the LA Rams. Great defense that's underperformed. Weak offense. And I I think Fisher caved in to the pressure to put Jared Goff in there. I think he wanted to keep Case Keenum out there. Now, what I've seen in the games is Jared Goff is a much better quarterback than Case Keenum. And... The maturity level seems to be there now, so maybe that's not the case, but I think there was a lot of internal pressure within the organization to make Jared Goff the quarterback, because the Rams are kind of a lame team in Los Angeles. Do you think any of this would have happened in St. Louis? I think Jeff Fisher could have gone 4-12 and if the Rams were still in St. Louis this season, and he might still keep his job. That's how strange it's been over these last few years for Jeff Fisher. I don't know how he's been able to do it, uh, but he has nonetheless. Uh, So that's it for today's podcast. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, I bid you adieu.